following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. gentlemen welcome to the insider's edge podcast here on the wcwa network i'm your host with the most on the west coast california in theory what a joy what a privilege what an honor to be with you all here today because i get the opportunity the honor the joy the privilege to speak to a legend in the sport of deathmatch professional wrestling just professional wrestling in general everybody this man right here has been the king of the death match. He's won tournament of death countless times. He is the one. He is the only Masada. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing good. That's sort of awesome introduction. <laughs> that was badass. <laughs> no worries, bro. And I, I know it's you know it's still the morning there for you right now. So I apologize if I. I'm no, a no, bit. no, you're Yeah, I literally just woke up. I mean, it's my weekend, so like, <laughs> I'm used to getting up at like six in the morning. So. Right. Got Labor Day tomorrow, so but hell yeah! Oh, I appreciate you for having me on the show. It's awesome. No, awesome man. We we uh we've been slowly but surely um ticking off a few uh, deathmatch legends here and there. Guys like Sick Nick Mondo and Thumbtack Jack and DJ Hyde, a few others. But um yeah, so it's oh, you just had like, DJ on? <laughs> yeah, we ha- I had him on last weekend, and uh, it was supposed to go for an yeah. hour, and it went for three and a half hours. So <laughs> yeah, how's he doing? Yeah. Yeah, he seems good. He's uh, he's pretty. He seems pretty pumped up about what's what's coming uh, for CZW in the next uh, you know six months to a year. So he's got a lot of plans in place, and uh, yeah, it, everything seems pretty exciting on his end. So yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, um. Anyway, bro. Um. The first question that we usually have on the show is: before you got into the business. Uh, were you a fan of professional wrestling and how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? If so. Uh, yeah, I was a fan since age five, like, you know, funny enough. Um, like literally like, a, so when I said age five, it's like ESPN used to show wrestling every day. Like, honestly, uh, there was still like the territories were still alive. So you had AEW or not, not, sorry, not AEW. That's new. AWA, um, yeah, AWA, sorry, yeah, AWA, Old Mid South, and then a uh, global world class championship wrestling. And um, like I said, it was on every day. Like wow. you could watch wrestling, and as soon as wrestling was over, it would have uh, American kickboxing. So uh, when I would get out of school, I would always watch it, you know. So it was like boom, and you know, see everything. I remember watching like Ultimate Warrior before he was Ultimate Warrior, it was Dingo Warrior. Uh, Tuchel Scorpio when he de- debuted in uh, uh, the shoot, I just said it. Bear with me, I just woke up. So, uh, the cool, AWA, right? so yeah, <laughs> but the cool thing is, like, back in the day, so AWA, like wrestling, they used to actually do like the, the whole of the week, and uh, it would be the two wrestlers and actually explaining how to do this. Oh, I don't know right. how good that was for like to teach kids, you know, go back to school and like stretch your bully, you know, but yeah, it was cool. But yeah, I was a big fan, you know, I, I love watching wrestling and, you know, my dad was a wrestling fan and uh, my grandfather. 
So, you know, uh, uh, cool. I actually got into it. You know, I kind of fell out of it when I was in my, you know, late teens, but then towards my later teens, I, I fell back into it. Right, cool. So you're, you're five years old when you become a fan and you're watching kind of the, the older style of wrestling, I suppose, as it's starting to slowly but surely, you know, you mentioned Two Cold Scorpio. So now things yeah. are happening where, you know, uh, it's evolving a little bit. There's going to be guys doing crazy stuff like he was doing. Uh, but yeah. you get back into it when you're a teenager. Is this when you like maybe become more of a fan of the, the hardcore style? Maybe you, you catch some ECW or something like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, so, like I said, like, I fell out of it. You know, the, the crazy thing is, like, you know, ESPN showed everything. Like, I miss the fact, like, they actually, when they showed so much wrestling, it was awesome. But um, gradually, you know, I, I grew out of it. And uh, some friends of mine actually were telling me about ECW. Now, this is later on when I'm, you know, 15, 16, and uh, they're like, this is real, you know, they're doing no real barbed wire matches and, you know, check out this guy Sabu. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, that's legit. But at that time, I was in martial arts, you know, and UFC was kind of like just starting off uh, and becoming a big deal. So I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do cage fighting, you know. It was, uh, you know, MMA before it was even MMA. But uh you know, when I saw like ECW, I was like, holy crap, you know, like that's what I want to do. I want to go back into wrestling or, you know, that dream of being a wrestler. So that's what happened. But yeah, <laughs> you know, cool, right. like, I was like, this yeah, guy's going to be getting paid a lot of money to be doing that crap, you know, but, <laughs> but I mean, the, the naive thing is for me, it's like, you know, you know, you have Abdullah the Butcher, you have Bruiser Brody. But, you know, as a little kid, you know, five years old, like, I didn't really grasp anything of, like, what was going on until later on in my teens. Like, oh, man, these guys are hardcore and, you know, they're beating the hell out of each other. You know, AWA actually had a lot of really violent matches uh, mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, they used to have the cage matches with the, the handcuffs. And if you handcuff your opponent, you get to beat on them for, like, five minutes and then release them. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> like that's insane i don't think anybody's done that I, I honestly don't think anybody's ever done that gimmick you know since the 80s but yeah. you know and yeah you know, no, hey, I, dj bring it back <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i can totally see how uh, something like ecw would, would definitely bring in uh you know a teenage fan um because when i first saw it, it was a little bit later down the line but uh it blew my mind as well um at some point, you finally do make the jump into into doing some training uh, at the yeah. Texas Wrestling Academy. Uh, Rudy Boy Gonzalez and the great Shawn Michaels uh, running that school. Um, <clears throat> could you please tell us about you know how you went about it? Did you find the advertisement in a Bill Apter magazine or something like that? Well, well, the funny thing is, actually, originally, okay, so March eighth of uh, nineteen ninety nine is when I started training. And I didn't train with uh, TWA uh, originally. I trained with uh, the Gulf Coast Wrestling Alliance. Okay. With, uh, with my original trainer, Steve Obrey, who was trained by Buzz Sawyer okay. uh, from WCW, who uh, you know had a history of being a real asshole. So, but I trained with him. You know, a lot of things like my 
high flying and submissions and suplexes came through Steve and I had a falling out with him and then started training with Rudy Boy and Sean. You know, I'd say probably like two years after training with Steve Obrey, then I started training with Rudy Boy and Sean. So I already knew everything, but honestly, like uh, Rudy and Sean are ones that taught me psychology. I've putting everything together. Steve was more like Japanese-based psychology where uh, <clears throat> you're going to go in there and just beat the hell out of each other. And, you know, once a guy can't, you know, kick out a three, like that's what it is. But then I, I started training with Rudy Boy and Sean where it's like, okay, this is the psychology part of why you're doing everything and get the emotion out of everybody. And um, it's really cool uh you know training with those guys and learning things you know and uh when i did my wwe tryouts like uh pat patterson funny enough was one of the another person that actually helped me with psychology of like you should react like this and this you should be angry at this point and do this and fight you know everything's a fight you know instead of it just being like you know uh, a free-for-all like spot fest of like trying to show your athletic ability um you know but yeah pay my dues <laughs> <laughs> absolutely bro and i i heard i've heard many stories about sean at the time uh i know like he had suffered his injury but apparently still yeah. in training he was still <laughs> he was still like bumping quite a lot is that correct yeah yeah he was uh yeah and his back was his back was still messed up you know um he would bump but the thing is it's like more or less like class like rudy boy would be the one that was telling everybody what to do and then sean would come in and he would demonstrate it with his uh you know really high little bike shorts i don't know why the hell he wore those but uh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean hey uh, hey whatever floats your boat i guess but i always thought that was kind of odd but yeah <laughs> you know but those are the guys that have been in the business for a long time, you know, so mentors and, you know, listen to them. Definitely. Of course. Uh, I, I tried my hardest in my research to find out when you had your first match. I could not find out. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it was in 2002. Do you remember your no. first match who it was for? No, it was earlier than that. Or? No, no, it was earlier than that. The thing is, like, Wikipedia, like, is so on. It's inaccurate. full of shit. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely full of shit. Like, and I don't know how to change anything on there. Uh, so, like I said, I started training March 8th of uh, 1999. And I would say probably, like, four months into training, I had my first match in Orange, Texas. And um, that's actually where the school was originally, was in Orange, Texas, which is close to uh, Beaumont. It's Southeast Texas. Yeah. So I broke in in 99 and I was working um, the Louisiana indie scene where I met Luke Hawks. Uh, at the time wow. he was, uh, you know, you, you know who Luke Hawks is, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, met him. A lot of guys, you know, Kevin Northcutt, Steve Southern, who um, has broke out, made a name for himself in New Japan. But anyway, so I broke in, you know, Louisiana scene and the Southeast Texas scene. And then gradually, when I started training with Rudy Boy and Sean, that's where they have it like, oh, he debuted in, you know, 2001 or whatever the hell it is. But it's like, no, nah, okay. that's inaccurate. And then another thing, too, is like, I'm, I'm 6'2 and I weigh uh, 
a shoot weight of 231. You know, on Wikipedia has me at six foot tall and I weigh 216. No. <laughs> like, I, I have, um, I have an account on there. I, I can actually that? edit it for you. I have an account on there. So if you want me to edit that for you, I can do yeah, that. I would. I appreciate it. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, because yeah, cool. originally so, it did it did have at one point in time, it did have that I trained at uh, you know, CWA and you know, and my original trainer and then training with Sean and Rudy Boy, but I don't know what happened with it. It got changed. And I was like, Well, right. I ain't changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I've already got, you know, I've already got two things you're... wrong. <laughs> hey, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I've been wrestling for shit. I mean, 23 years. So yeah holy crap bro crazy because i started when i was 17 you know and i'm 40 now yeah man that's crazy um okay so that was when you had your first match uh the first match do you still remember it's it's 23 20 odd years ago now but uh do you remember it nerves yeah how did it go yeah i do remember it uh because i actually i wrestled with my my trainer and i just remember getting my ass kicked (laughs) i was like okay i remember the first day of training all right so my first match, yeah, I remember getting my ass kicked and just uh, getting brutalized. And then uh, I remember, you know, from age 11 to 14, I did martial arts. So a lot of people don't know this, but I have a secondary black belt in Taekwondo. And, uh, you know, I think I'm a tough guy. I could break bricks. Like, honestly, if you had a stack of bricks, I could break them, uh, boards and whatnot. And uh, my first day of wrestling training, it's like, trained and the next morning i could not get out of bed i was like oh man do i want to <laughs> do this yeah i mean wrestling is brutal like wrestling is like honestly the hardest thing i've ever done in my life physically you know physically and mentally because uh later on you get with all the mental crap of uh trying to find work and deal with people but uh yeah, yeah i remember my match it was in uh national guard armory in orange texas and uh, it was just pretty much, you know, just a strong style match of just bumping around and getting beat on. So, yeah, <laughs> toughen you up. <laughs> That's it, bro. I-, I wanted to ask where the name Masada came from, because uh, when I first heard your name, and, and please don't get me wrong, I-, I only just really in the last couple of years started like uh, exploring deathmatch stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and when I interviewed Matt Tremont, Ed, we'd talked about you. I always imagined that you were Japanese because Masada just makes me think of like Kenta, you know, it's in capitals. It makes me think, you know, but then I saw you, I'm like, oh, he looks like he could be a guitarist in a heavy metal band. Uh, yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, well, my mom and dad, they're, funny enough, they're the ones that told me about Mount, Mount Masada in Israel. Mm. And they told me the story about what happened there with uh, a, you know, a Jewish colony. And then the Roman Empire couldn't figure out how to get up there to enslave them because uh, the empire was like really big. And once Rome figured out how to get in, onto that peninsula to get up there to enslave them, they all committed a mass suicide. And um, for me, it's like, you know, that's spoke a lot of, you know, it's like, whoa, that's crazy. I've never heard that story before. And the, the funny thing is, like, when I first went to Japan, they were like, Masada is like a Japanese name, but it's kind of weird because I never thought that, you know, I was like, whoa. But uh, the whole story is based on uh, that premise of history of where you won't be enslaved by a a major, you know, uh, 
not government, I want to say, but more or less like um, an army uh, of just, you're going to do this. Instead of being a slave, they'd rather die, you know? So that's where the name yeah. came from. That's a lot of my personality, just in general, of just life, you know? I want to live my life to the fullest and do what I want to do. And I don't want someone to tell me what I can and can't, you know? So that's where that's Masada good. comes from. And that's the attitude. And a lot of things, I didn't, I, as a wrestler and as a, a performer, I really haven't played too much into it, but like, you know, I get announced from Waco, Texas, where I'm not from, but the thing is like, it's basically being announced from Waco is supposed to be more or less like the Branch Davidian compound of like, put that, put two and two together. Yeah. Because I remember as a, as a, as a kid that happening. And I remember the lies that were told about, you know, you know, the main guy that was running things and like what the FBI was saying about him proclaiming to be Jesus Christ. And like, they went in there and slaughtered those people, which isn't right. And it all comes down to just like uh, the fact that he was selling guns or they just didn't like what he was doing. So it's more or less like a anti-conformist, you know, person persona. And whereas, I mean, that's me in general. It's like, I just won't bow down to anybody, but uh, that's where Masada comes from. But the crazy thing is, like, when I went to Japan, you know, the first time they were like, oh, well, you might need to change your name. I was like, why? You know, well, Masada's a Japanese name. I was like, what? Like, I thought it was from Israel. It's a Jewish name. But <laughs> I, I didn't change my name. Like, me being... Is he still there? I think I dropped out. Like I said, with wrestling, like I really haven't done any uh, just do on where it comes from or really played into a character on where my standpoints, my beliefs are, which, you know, I should, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. Very good. Great story, though. I, I didn't realize it would uh, have a meaning like that. So that's really, um, you know, I like those nuggets of information. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, in your early career, I, I did notice, uh, obviously, you, you did go to Ring of Honor. You joined up mm -hmm. with the Carnage crew there. I have interviewed both H.C. Loke and Tony DeVito. So I've had their awesome. side of the story with uh, the Carnage crew. Please tell me about how it came about for you to join uh, and the experience of working with those two guys. Oh, uh, Loke and DeVito are awesome, man. Uh, the, the, the funny thing is, okay, so... Uh, wrestling ring of honor so i used to go to roh when it very first started i was there at the very first show and uh i was a young boy so i was going in there with rudy boy and whatnot and uh and before the the match or the show would actually start like everybody would train in the ring so the cool thing is like loke and devito would always be watching and i would you know shoot the shit with them because they their interest music was crowbar um from the band Crowbar that's actually from Louisiana. And like, I actually know those guys and like, I'm huge in the metal community in uh, Southeast Texas and Louisiana. So that's how we became friends is talking about music. But um, as far as like Loke and DeVito, like those guys are awesome. You know, like DeVito's funny, Loke is like serious, but then he's kind of not. Uh, DeVito's more or less like, 
I remember one time we were in New Jersey at the Rexplex, and we have a huge match. It's like, you know, a feud match with the Texas Wrestling Academy. And then DeVito's just sitting there. He's like this. He's like, looks like I'm thinking about stuff, right? And it's like, yeah, it does. Like, man, I ain't thinking about shit. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Brainstorm something, please. You know, like, we're up in, like, five minutes. Like, come on, man. (laughs) But those guys are awesome, you know, and they know how to they, they they know how to work. They know psychology and they're tough guys. You know what I mean? So it was cool to tag with them and like get their sample of psychology because like, you know, <clears throat> Texas, like wrestling psychology is different than the Northeast psychology. And like I gradually I've learned that, you know, over many years of like, you know, Japanese psychology, Mexico psychology, European psychology, and then there's a different work rate when it comes to like Texas, the Northeast and whatnot. But um, yeah, Luke, DeVito, they're awesome. And you can throw in just incredible too. Justin's awesome too. Man, miss those guys, yeah. man. It's funny because like Luke just, it's funny because I just literally put this shirt out uh, probably like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Masada, yeah. uh, no weapons needed. And then uh, Loke actually bought a shirt for <laughs> shirt for me, and he messaged me. He's like, "Hey, how you doing, brother? Like, I'm doing great, man." But you know, he's talking about like, "Hey, let's get Carnage Crew back together." It's like, man, you could have told me that like ten years ago. Let's do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed they've been doing a little bit lately, so that would be really cool to see you hook up with those guys again. Um, oh yeah, uh, I know that you had a bit of a run with them. Uh, and then it, you, the the story switched, and you were going to now team with Danny Daniels, uh, who obviously had previous um, history with Loke in ECW. Um, so this is an interesting part of of uh, you know the Carnage Crew's history with the new and improved Carnage Crew, and mm-hmm. uh, you guys battling over the name. Um, how did you enjoy uh, going against them at that point and, and teaming with Danny? Well, the thing is, that whole angle, I hated it, honestly, because I didn't know anything about it. We did Scramble Cage 2, and, uh, you know, the whole... The thing is, I didn't know anything that was going on, honestly. So we did Scramble Cage 2, and then we're in the locker room, and, you know, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes there, and uh, they cut a promo, and I'm just sitting there. Like, if you watch it, and I'm just sitting there, and, like, you know, like, you got to do a promo right now with uh Gabe Spicolsi he's like promo right now I was like okay but you know I don't I didn't know anything that was going on and so they started selling like the fact that somebody had like you know defecated in their bags and I'm trying to sell it but I didn't know what the hell was going on <laughs> and uh for me it, like that whole angle sucked because I didn't know Danny Daniels I didn't didn't know him I didn't know the history of him and Loke and it felt like to me it was like more or less like try to write me off in ring of honor which ultimately that's what ended up happening and uh you know i wasn't a fan of what the storyline was what they finally told me which uh gabe told me he was like yeah well you know someone defecated in the bags and it's gonna be you and danny and i was like what like that's retarded like I, why would that <laughs> like that's stupid like yeah. people are gonna, gonna buy into that <laughs> yeah people are gonna buy into that and it's like it just felt like you're trying to write me off and the matches he was booking us in or booking me in. It was just like, nah. 
And honestly, like, you know, you know, blessing in disguise, like, you know, on the back runners, I was already talking to uh, Charlie Akaiki, uh, who used to live in San Antonio, Texas. That's where I'm based at right now, San Antonio. Um, but Charlie, I've met him in Major League Wrestling, and, you know, he's right for the Japanese wrestling magazines and MMA and whatnot. And I reached out to him beforehand with any of this stuff about going to big Japan and going overseas. So luckily I had that on the back burner because honestly, if like, if I didn't, like I would have been out of a job. So yeah, I wasn't a fan of that, that angle. I think it was stupid. And I'll say that to this day, like I wasn't a fan of it. And I'm pretty sure like if we were sitting down with Logan DeVito and uh and justin they would say the same thing it's like why do that you know what i mean but you got to look at things from gabe's point of view gabe didn't like the fact of flying me in from texas and really didn't have anything for me um so it's more or less like we got to write him off so i'll have to pay for that that flight and that's how i took it so and i'm pretty sure that's how it is and i butted heads with him over the years over that like hey man I really don't appreciate appreciate how you treated me, and uh, I mean, basically, you know, go f yourself. You know, like I could have done a lot more Ring of Honor um, in those times, in those days, than what you let me do. So I had Absolutely. to venture out into the deathmatch scene. So, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't like being labeled as a deathmatch wrestler. I don't like getting booked in deathmatches uh 24 7 because there's so much more to me than just blood and guts you know i pay my dues you know tenfold in the united states and overseas in japan so i mean it's there it's there you know i'll do it but end of the day it's like i'd rather just wrestle you know and just you know i wish uh things would have worked out differently in roh you know that's one of my big pet peeves of like wrestling in general it's like i wish i had a real run in ring of honor yeah no i get you brian and this is why when i uh introduced you i said a deathmatch wrestling legend but then no, I, yeah, I corrected no, myself yeah, I and then said a wrestling yeah. legend as well <laughs> no and i appreciate that because a lot of people get misconstrued with things and they hear my name like oh he's just no he's just a garbage wrestler it's like all right whatever dude <laughs> like the yeah, thing is exactly. like my garbage wrestling, you should watch it sometime and if you take all the weapons out of straight up wrestling, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's kind of like uh, Axel Rotten. A lot of people just thought he was uh, just a, a, a deathmatch kind of hardcore wrestler, but he could actually really work quite well. And that was, you know, there's always misconceptions yeah. out there. Yeah. And the thing is, it, it plays into like when I was, you know, a teenager and, you know, yeah, it's like, oh, wrestling's all phony baloney, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, when you hear guys getting thrown in barbed wire matches and they're beating the shit out of each other and you see the marks on them, it's like, whoa, wrestling is real. And that, that, that's the thing that plays in the thing is like, oh, wrestling's fake. Like, I hate that. Wrestling is legitimately like as real as it gets, you know, from a physical standpoint and psychology standpoint, mentally standpoint, wrestling is definitely real you know it's like uh my wife uh her father is a black gorman and he's one of the originators of like hardcore wrestling back in the day so you know meeting him in mexico it's like 
you see the scars on his head. You can't tell me things are like not legitimate, you know? And he's one of those old timers. Like if you say something bad about wrestling, he'll, he'll beat your ass. 83 years old, he'll kick your ass. So you know what I mean? It's like, mind what you say. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, bro. I, I probably only ever had maybe about 200 matches in my time doing local wrestling here. And uh, my knee is still messed up. So oh, for yeah. me, on just this small, very small scale of a, being a weekend warrior, and even I have issues physically from it. So yeah. I can only imagine what old timers have to deal with these days, that's for sure. Um, there's a portion of your career that I was really interested in learning about because I, I saw that you had a bunch of these like opportunities uh, in 2003 and early 2004. So I just wanted to rattle off a few of these matches and opportunities you had. Okay. Uh, There's the 14th of May 2003. You work a TNA explosion match with Conan in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the 17th of November 2003 in Beaumont, Texas against Maven on Sunday Night Heat. And then the next day in Houston, uh, you work a dark match against Jeremy Lopez on the Velocity tapings there. And then there's also two more matches with TNA in early 2004, one with three live crew. Uh, Did do you, uh, can you please enlighten me on how you got those opportunities and what the feedback was? I know you said that Pat Patterson had given you some advice as well during that time. Um, but what, were the, what was the feedback and and why were you maybe not uh, signed at that point? Well, I mean, the thing is, so uh, Fast Eddie, who's a you know, wrestler out of Houston, had told me that, you know, WWE is going to be in Beaumont, which is was my hometown. And uh, they're like, hey, you know, he was like, yeah, you need to reach out to Bill Barron's from NWA Wildside. You know, this is how wrestling connects, you know. <laughs> so, you know, Bill Barron's had a connection with uh, Johnny Ace. And uh, I just messaged him, like, out of the blue. It wasn't through the Wrestling Academy. It wasn't through TWA or Rudy Boy. It's like I've messaged uh, Bill Barron's and, Bill Barron's is like, okay, you sure you want to do that? I was like, yeah, I want to do that. You know, like put me on a list. So they put me on and like I went and just with my looks alone, the long goatee and the piercings and whatnot, they re- they just had a pay-per-view and they want to put me in as a security guard. And then Sasha Slaughter and Johnny Ace were like, yeah, you don't look like a security guard. You look more like a wrestler. So how would you like to wrestle Maven on a Sunday night heat kid? I was like, yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, working with Maven and like, you know, Pat Patterson was one that really put the, the, the psychology standpoints of like, yeah, you need to be mad. You need to do this. You need to sell this t- to the camera and whatnot. Um, Michael Hayes, is actually like I was only scheduled for Sunday Night Heat. Michael Hayes is the one that got me my dark match the following day in Houston. But uh, he came up after the match with uh, Maven and I, and he was like, you know, that was that was the best match you've had on had period Maven. Like that's really great. And then he was asking, he was like, hey kids, like, so where are you from? I was like, well, I'm from here. And uh, He's like, well, how much are you making on the indies? Are you making like, you know, 50, 70 bucks? And I was like, at that time, I wasn't getting paid anything, paying my dues. So I was like, yeah, that's a good payday. And he's like, well, from now on, charge $300 because you're, you're going to be on TV. I was like, okay, but 
you know, nobody bid on the, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're up and like, yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> all right, where's that, free guy? where's that $50 wrestler? Where's that $50 worker? But yeah, it, you know, and then I, like I said, I did the dark, like you said, I, I did the dark match the following day at Russell Jeremy Lopez, which was funny enough because Jeremy Lopez, like I've known him, I actually knew him, you know, since I was 12 years old. Uh, we went to the same church together and uh, he actually left Texas to go to Florida to train, train with the Malinkos. And when I knew him, it's like we butted heads. Like I was so into martial arts, like, ah, wrestling bogus, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, wrestling's this. And I was like, all right, you want to go fight outside the church? Let's go fight, you know, kick your ass, you know, type attitude. But it was just kind of funny because, you know, how things, you know, work together. And, like, I think it was 2021 20, or when we wrestled each other. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> small world. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? Uh, they like my work. They like, you know, the only criticism I got is just basically you need to tone up, you know. And at that time, I weighed 245. And they were like, you just need to tone up, you know, because I was pretty bulky. Um, and then Tommy Dreamer was telling me, he's like, yeah, you need to go drink the water in Mexico. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> wink, wink. So, I mean, I, I mean, I did do that. And then I was still doing Ring of Honor, but in a day, it didn't even matter. You know, it's like, you got to have your, your ends with everybody. And I've learned that, you know, over the years, like you got to have your ends with everyone to get pushed and, you know, Luckily, Japan came about and just went over there and rocked it, you know, and I hated my first series over there. Like a lot of people, a lot of people don't know this. Like I didn't do tours over there. I did series. The series is where you're over there for a period of months, not a week tour, two week tour or a few days. So I would always go over there, you know, 90 days and just go out there and kill it and then come back home for maybe a day or two and then go back over there. So, you know, paying dues all over. But then gradually it's like, you know, doing that and building that reputation. That's where I could charge what, you know, Michael Hayes is like, hey, you need to charge this, but I'm charging way more than that. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, man. Um, yeah, no, I noticed in my research, uh, it was 28 days after you had that final tag match in Ring of Honor that. You are now in Big Japan in Kawasaki at BJW Road to Decade on July 17th. Uh, the, the first match, I'm just going to rattle off because I like to test myself to see if I can pronounce the names. Abdullah, Abdullah Kobayashi, Daisuke Sekimoto, Jaki Numazawa, and uh, Ryuji Ito defeat Bad Boy Hido Masada, Ryuji Yamakawa, and Shadow WX. Uh, so that was the first match. Um, Funny, that's not that, even, yeah, that wasn't my that, first match. No. My first match was actually me in a singles match against Shadow WX okay. in Kawasaki. <laughs> yeah, so right. that's, yeah, no. That was, like, yeah, that was, that was like my debut. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, thank you for correcting me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad now that I know that. Um, so cool. You told us about how you had the opportunity to go there. Um, and is this the first time you kind of encountered the, this like kind of 
uh, ultra-violent, I suppose, style of wrestling. And, um, and, and I guess, what did you learn from your first few times there in Japan? Well, the thing is, like, so, like, when I broke in in 99, like, hardcore wrestling was hot. So when I broke in, that was already popular. So I was already doing ultra-violent wrestling or more or less like okay. hardcore matches, you know. So there was nothing new other than wrestling with light tubes and glass. Like when I wrestled in Louisiana, we used to do uh, pits of pre-broken glass. Um, so they, I would say it was new, but then the thing is like, it wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like wrestling with light tubes and my first panes of glass death match was actually when I went to CZW wrestling uh, Danny Havoc, you know? Right. But um, yeah, it was definitely a, you know, a culture shock of things like, like I said, standpoint, it's kind of like my first trainer had told me it's like things are hard hitting and you need to be this, you need to do this. And when I went to Japan, it's like that's what really paid off with his training because now we're not doing uh, American style wrestling and we're not doing the entertainment wrestling of things. Uh, this is blood and guts. So like <laughs> you better have you better have your shit tough together because, you know, <laughs> they're going to send you home if you don't. And that's how it was, you know, there to go out there, go balls to the wall. It's almost more or less like being a gladiator. It's like, yeah, <laughs> the vibe, the vibe better, you know? Yeah. And I, I hope I get the next part correct. Uh, you, you spend the next four years pretty much on and off in big Japan. So you, you pop back to the United States here and there. Would you say that these four years of big Japan uh, back and forth, is that where you kind of really made a name for yourself and, now some of these other companies like a CZW or an IWA Mid-South might be like, man, when he is finally back here for good, we need to get him on board. Well, the thing is like, my main thing was always to go back to the Northeast and then WWE was always on the back burner of like doing tryouts and then going back over there. Um, you recently, you talked about like my uh, trials with Impact with TNA. When I wrestled with TNA, they never, I wrestled Conan. I wrestled probably like three or four times in TNA. And every time I wrestled, I got no feedback on like what I need to work on or do anything. And TNA wasn't paying anything. So it was like, I'm literally paying money out of my pocket to be there. WWE yeah. was different. They actually paid my gas, uh, paid me to for the match. But uh, TNA never paid anything. And then Bill Barron's, you know, the same guy that got me a trial with WWE was like, hey, uh, TNA wants you to come back in. I was like, Bill, I'm not going. Like, sorry, but I'm not going. And some people might be like, oh, that's a crappy attitude. But the thing is, like, if I'm paying $300 out of my pocket to go and just get jobbed out for, you know, two minutes out of my time, like, it's not worth it to me. And especially when, like, at the time, it's just they were just eating guys up. Like you're gonna put this guy over. I got no problem with that. But the thing is, in the, the day, it's like you're not paying me anything. So, and yeah. you're not telling me what I need to work on to actually get a job here. So I'm not doing this. Um, but yeah, as far as like a, you know, wrestling Japan, I felt like it was longer than four years. Uh, like I felt like it was really longer. But Ian is the one that brought me in for IW Missile King the death matches. And in Rotten is honestly the one that broke me back into the United States wrestling of uh you know going full force, 
I met DJ through uh, Ian at IW Mid-South, King of the Death Matches. And yeah, gradually it's like it just, it was a snowball effect. You know, I went to Combat Zone Wrestling back in the Northeast where I wanted to be and uh, prove a real standpoint of what I can do. So not blood and guts, but wrestling. You know, I wrestled A.R. Fox, Sammy Callahan, uh, Adam Cole. You know, in the Northeast, like top of the top guys, not just even the CZW, but I wrestled uh, Kevin Steen, turning Kevin Owens, uh, El Generico, who, Sammy Zayn, like all these top guys that are, are contracted now. Yeah. Um, and it, that's kind of like, it's kind of struck me weird. It strikes me weird now, but <clears throat> back in the day, it's like, or even now, for example, like I'll get booked against guys. Like I just wrestled Brian Cage. Uh, I can't say just wrestled him, but, you know, before COVID hit and, you know, he gets signed to AEW, guys going to WWE, going to Impact, getting full-term jobs, Ring of Honor. And then I'm here sitting in the, in the dust, like, all right, so what the hell, man? <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can understand. I'm trying to feel a bit weird. Um, having worked with all these guys and you'll, you you probably, you know, you feel like you've probably earned your opportunity to, to show your stuff yeah. in these places. Well, too. The cra- you're right. And the crazy thing is, is it's not just working with them. It's just like shortly after working with them, they get picked up. So, you know, what the hell's going on? And like, I know I don't play the game, you know, I don't play the game of wrestling of uh, constantly blowing people up, begging for jobs, begging for work. And then, you know, eat peanuts off the floor, like type thing of like, Hey, I'm so happy to be here. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I've done that before. And uh, it didn't pan out for me. But then when I see guys that are going off and they're making millions or, you know, whatever the hell they're making, it's pretty frustrating of like, you know, like I paid my dues like yeah. 10 for 23 years of wrestling and I'm still going. And then even with my style of wrestling and doing like death matches and cage of death and all the insanity of scaffold matches in Japan and, you know, sheets of glass and whatnot, still up and moving, still working, still, you know, running, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey, yeah, I must have rubbed somebody the wrong way. I guess some, a lot of times I feel like I got blackballed, but you know, right. I don't play the game. You know, it is what it understood, is. Understood, bro. Yeah, understood. Um, one match, and I really hope I get this one right. One match that I saw that sounded interesting to bring up. It's uh, New Year's Eve, two thousand nine, in Big Japan. That they're doing a show with Kai and Tai Dojo and DDT. Uh, it's called the New Year's Eve special at the Kurokan Hall. It's a 108-man battle royal. Mm. How yeah. the fuck does that work? That's uh, that sounds insane. Can you please enlighten me on what that was? <laughs> well, I mean, it's exactly what you called it. Like <laughs> 108-man battle royal. <laughs> oh man, that that felt like it was like two hours long. It probably was. It went remember, 85 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, roughly a little bit over an hour and a half. But uh, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> that was literally sitting at Corrigan Hall waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And they're like, oh, you're next. And then like DDT had like some stupid 
blow up doll like as a wrestler. And the funny thing is, I've never been booed in Corrigan Hall until I started like kicking this blow up doll. And I started <laughs> thinking in my head, this is really stupid. <laughs> like, I was always been like a hardcore baby face. And then, like, I started kicking this blow up doll and like they're booing me. Whatever. <laughs> but the cool thing is, the only cool thing I could say about that is like, uh, to jury, I just, Esper is released from WWE and uh, getting to work with him a little bit in that battle royal. But yeah, that's just, I don't know. There's really not much to say about that other than (laughs) it's just ridiculousness. (laughs) Japan does some really crazy stuff and maybe they think they're good ideas or they just like kind of stick it to the business, I guess. But yeah, not the not at the high point in my career. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up, bro. I just thought it was. Uh... Oh, it's all good. <laughs> it's funny that you did bring it up because I forgot about it. <laughs> okay, uh, so talking um, uh, about getting back to the US and and Ian Rotten kind of breaking you back into the US. Uh, Two thousand nine, IWA Mid South King of the Death Match Tournament, uh, the Hartman Rec Center in. Joliet, I, I would say, is a pronunciation, Illinois. Uh, we spoke to Thumbtack Jack about this the other day. Uh, and this is what your tournament looks like. Um, first round, uh, you defeat Tank in a barbed wire board type A death match. Um, mm. So the barbed wire board obviously wasn't enough. We, we need to add the type A death match in as well. This, I, this, I just, this pops me. Uh, semifinals yeah. the next day against Corporal Robinson in a flaming cinder blocks and hot coals match. That sounds like a nightmare. And then the finals, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a four-way double ring, no ropes, barbed wire, fans bring the weapons, 30-minute Iron Man match. That is insane. That is crazy. <laughs> so please tell me about because this is a big moment for you winning this tournament. Um, and and you know, please uh, take me through the day and and you know how it felt to uh, to be back in in the US and and to have been given this credit. Yeah, I mean to come to come back to the United States and wrestle right up in South. The funny thing is, like I uh, when I was just doing regular wrestling, like I worked for in. Uh, two shows through NWA Wildside with Bill Barons. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, just doing basic matches and whatnot. And then when I got the call from in, like I was living in Japan at the time. So he was like, you know, why don't you come in and uh, I'm going to put you over in this tournament. So first time going in, it's like, yeah, it was brutal. The first match I had with Tank, like, you know, I was beat to hell. Like I did uh, a Topeko and Hilo swanton over the top rope through a ladder on tank and i overshot him and eating the floor so my lower back was like killing me and then the next following day I had to wrestle corporal and wrestle the finals but it was great because in the standpoint of like wrestling and just hardcore wrestling people that have forgotten about me um you know they knew that i was still around you know what i mean and the funny thing is, like, PWI Magazine, they used to have the Pro Wrestling Almanac. And uh, they used to do uh, the top 15 prospects of people to break out. And in 2002 or 2003, like, I was one of the top prospects to break out in the business. But the funny thing is, with everything that happened with Ring of Honor, I went to Japan. So they didn't really, they weren't following Big Japan. And yeah. uh <laughs> The next, the following year, they put the book out. Like, 
they always do a follow-up on what the guy's doing in the career. And they're like, oh, he quit wrestling and now he's in a metal band. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, it's stupid. It's, it's funny. I can show you right now. It's like, if you can see, like, right there, that bin right there is nothing yeah. but wrestling magazines and books I've been in. And uh, I'm actually in an Australian magazine, funny enough, uh, that's in that bin. But, um, you know, going back to the United States was awesome. You know what I mean? And gradually, like I said, it was a snowball effect. And then the funny thing is, I, I lived in Japan for over eight years, and I wrestled there consistently for 12. And, you know, coming back to the United States and then working for CZW, um, and then going to Germany, a lot of people don't know, but Inns actually what played a big, well, Inns played a big part of me going to Germany, but also me just wrestling in Japan played a big part of me going to WXW in Europe. And, you know, it was just great, you know, all around, even though being beat to hell, working for IW Mid-South and being there as a main player, it's like, it's awesome. You know what I mean? Honored by that. Because Inn's been in the business since the 80s, you know, and he knows yeah. everything. And Inn is one of those guys, he's told me several times, it's like, you know, Brig, it's like, you know, the only thing that's held you back from, like, breaking into the big time is – um your promos your ability to speak and you don't talk uh, my thing is and it's a bad thing on my part is just being who i am like in texas talking talk is cheap you know what i mean we're gonna fight we're gonna fight and we're not gonna say nothing so my mentality in wrestling is the same way like as soon as that interest music hits and the bell rings like it's on you know what i mean i can't tell you and be all energetic if kind of promo of I'm going to do this to you and this and this. Like, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do to you. I'm just going to beat your ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, Ian has always been a strong supporter and like he's a good friend of mine. You know, I'm blessed to actually have friends like that in the business of like someone that daily, you know, checks up on me and make, make sure I'm okay, you know? Yeah, for a while there, like after coming back to America, like I wasn't okay. You know what I mean? Uh, constantly drinking 24-7, following that depressing route. Like, well, why am I not signed? Why is this not happening? Pity party me, crap. And uh, my wife is the one that actually pulled me out of that. Thank God. Yeah. What was it that was leading you down that road? Was it just like uh, you, you you had expectations of where you wanted to be at, at a certain point in your life and uh, it just, it wasn't working out the way that you, you thought. So you had a crutch that kind of, you thought might've been helping you get through it, but in the end was was uh, hurting you? Well, I mean, the thing is like with wrestling, like, you know, I'm sure majority of guys you talk to on here, it's like you work and then like, you're traveling international so it's kind of crazy uh like i remember doing one series like where or a tour i did a tour in europe i was there for two weeks and then came back to the united states did two days working at czw and then went to japan for a month and you keep doing that routine and it's like you're alone you know what i mean you don't have yeah. a social you don't have anything really and you're just there to pop the crowd and you know it is what it is you, you know what you sign up for but yeah i mean when you come back to the united states like especially for me because i was making really good money overseas and international uh you know going to europe 
you know, England, Germany, whatnot. And then you go back to North, you know, shoot, back to North America, back to America. And it's like, people don't want to pay you. They don't want to book you. They'll promise you, hey, we got you scheduled on this. We're going to book you on this. It's like, hey, man, my bills are still there. So I didn't pay my bills. So you can't depend on anything. And uh, it was more or less like life in general was just so dull and boring. It's like, man, I'd rather just drink myself to oblivion. And uh, my dreams are better than my real life. You know what I mean? That's kind of sad to say, but that's how it was. And then I, I remember going to Philly and uh, David Starr is like, I'm going to time travel right now. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, it's like Thursday. I'll see you on Saturday and just down a whole bottle. And that's what it was, man. Not good. You know, very self-destructive behavior. And, uh, you know, that's kind of like how my mentality was like, hey, they just want to put me in uh, blood and guts matches. That's where my life is on. And it is what it is. But, you know, my wife really pulled me out of that and seeing the brighter things of life and really live it to the fullest and be positive. You know, it can't be so negative. And I, like I said, a lot of things, a lot, a lot of things in wrestling, like I, I, I know I did it to myself, but when you, you deal with all the BS in wrestling of like trying to get a job and then people shut you down and kick you in the face, like, hey, I'm trying really hard to be nice. And the funny thing is later on when I was being an asshole and just like, hey, screw this guy, screw this dude, I started getting booked more, which made no sense. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's a ass backwards uh industry business, <laughs> like to say the least. You know no, what I mean? Like, all of that uh, resounds with me, bro. It resounds with me because for the last uh, I'd say 12 years, I've uh, been in and out of rock bands here in Perth and uh I put in so much time and 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 positivity and just go 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 into it. The last five years, just running a band at a complete loss, not making any money, but trying my hardest. But there's the bullshit politics, even yeah. in the local rock music scene. Can't get anywhere. And last year, I had to just throw my hands up and be like, I think I have to figure out what else, something else I'm going to do with my life because I'm in my mid thirties now, and this isn't working because there's just too much red tape and bullshit to get through in order to get to where I should probably be able to get to, because I don't think anyone in this city can perform as good as me as a front man in a rock band, as far as I'm concerned. But right. I just don't have the contacts and I don't play the bullshit games to get there. You know yeah, what I mean? So for sure. The results of this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like the thing is like, I was like the definition of insanity. Like I was doing the same thing every day. And expecting a different result. Well, hey, you're still doing the same thing. And uh, I mean, even in CZW, when I was wrestling guys, like they were just straight up wrestlers and high flyers. You know, I'm thinking like, all right, I'm going to get that call. <laughs> like somebody's going to hit me <laughs> up. But that, that's always been my attitude too with wrestling. It's like, I don't reach out to promoters, you know. Back in the day when I first started, like I kind of did that, but not really. I'm more or less like, you know, left it up to my trainers to get me booked places. And the few times I actually did reach out to promoters, like they're not going to pay you what you want or it pay you anything. So even now it's like, you know, I'll sit here and somebody calls me or they message me, hit me up on uh, social media. Then it's like, all right, well, this is what it is. I'm going to charge you this and this and this. 
But some guys, man, like they can do it 24-7, just messaging promoters, boom, 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 boom. It's like, man, I don't have time for that crap, honestly. You know, like, I'm not going to sit here and, like, you know, baby powder things of like, hey, you know, can you book me? Can you do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ain't got time for that crap, man. Like, you know, I have a family and my wife and, like, I have my business, my shoot job and wrestling on top of that. You know, back in the day, wrestling was just my job, period. And then I started exiled artifacts of like making weapons and jewelry and whatnot. And uh, man, I just don't have time to blow smoke up people's butts and like stroke their egos, which I wouldn't do that anyway if I did have the time. It's like, <laughs> it's not my thing. <laughs> hey, you want me? You know, you know what I can do? I have a fan base, people respect and you know, been following me for years. So that's what I have to offer. You know what I mean? And I thank my fan base, honestly, you know, they're awesome, you know, but man, you know, <laughs> I know what you weird. mean, bro. Even, even doing this podcast, I've been trying to butter up certain media people from certain big wrestling organizations to get me interviews with people on their roster and they give me nothing. Uh, and you keep buttering them up and buttering them up and, and, and trying to, push how great I am at what I do and it's still like I get talked down to and then it just gets to a point where I just send them an email back saying this is this will be our last correspondence you can go fuck yourself like I'm not going to be yeah. talked down to or, or be made to feel like I'm I'm nobody you know I'm, I'm trying to promote your your company to a, a different country here that probably isn't getting you know a tv deal over here anytime soon but yeah anyway yeah, exactly. you know what i mean like yeah, yeah 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 and you're right the thing is it's so crazy it's like you're in australia so it's like you want to hit that market like you know you have there's a lot of wrestling fans in australia so you would think that people would be more appreciative and like but the egos are so strong in america where it's like mm. nah all right like i've sent emails out like the funny thing is like i've only literally sent out one demo tape in my career and that was a big japan and uh, you know they bid on it and that's you know where i went but um yeah when you email somebody or you reach out to them like hey you know uh, i'm interested in coming in and you don't even get a response or anything it's like really like that's pretty rude especially with wrestling wrestling has a mindset and you know this when you go to the locker room you're supposed to meet and greet everybody but some people yeah. are just dicks, you know what I mean? Like, hey, nice to meet you. My name's Brig, you know, AKA Masada. And just, they don't care because like you're there in the same business and you could possibly take their job. So yeah. they don't, but it's like my, my, my mentality and it still is today. Like the majority of time when I'm on a, on a roster or a locker room, like people like shoot fighting, dude, I kick all your asses. You know what I mean? Like, that's my attitude. And, like, I know I could whip their ass. Like, I'll knock you out on the fucking ground. I'll beat your ass and, like, make you realize who the hell I am. Want to snuff your nose at me, you little bitch. But, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know what you mean. And I've done that. I've done that in my career. Like, Necro Butcher was one of them. You know, when he was book, booked in Japan, had to play it nice with him. And, like, once we came back to Texas, like, I'm kicking your ass, dude. Like, seriously. And the funny thing is, in that time period, it's like everybody was so afraid of him because he was shooting on guys and beating them up. It's like, you guys are a bunch of punks. Like, no, that's not happening with me. You know, so, and, I, you know, I'm not trying to be condescending, but 
maybe I am, but <laughs> I can watch people's matches. Like that didn't make any sense. That doesn't look good. Uh, you're not athletic at all. You know, you got two left feet, but you know, people are like, Oh, you're just blood and guts. And then like, I go and work with them. Like AR Fox is one of them. He was like, he had made a smart comment and he didn't tell, he didn't say this to my face, but he had said it to some of the guys that brought it back to me. He was like, I don't understand why they booked Masada because all he is is just a blood and guts guy. I was like, oh, really? Okay. Hey, DJ, book me against him. And like, <laughs> we worked. You know what I mean? Like, I can do all that high-flying stuff that you do and school you on psychology because you, you don't have it. You know what I mean? And that's not talking crap, you know? It's like, hey, your match structures are great. Not, I mean, as an athletic standpoint, they're great. But the thing is, they don't tell a story of mm-hmm. invest psychology and the thing is like when i worked at czw like a lot of people would say like oh he had chemistry with this guy and you know and wrestling with adam cole and sammy callahan and just guys that were just known as legitimate wrestlers it's like yeah dipshits like you know i was wrestling for ring of honor i've been wrestling you know three years before roh happened you know i know how to work you know i know how to wrestle but you know it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. I'm not gonna be sitting here. I'm not gonna be sitting here being bitter or whatever. But anytime, like you have like Jeff Cobb, who's an awesome wrestler. You have Brian Cage, great wrestler. And then you know when I broke into the Mexico scene and uh, Lucha Libre, uh, wrestled the original La Parca, Rush, who's a ROH. I don't know if he's a champion now, but you know I worked with him. Uh, psychosis damien 666 and all the veterans in mexico love working with me so you come back to the united states where everybody's like trying to stab you in the back or like try to use you as a stepping stone and it was like okay (laughs) right it goes back to what i was saying before like a real fire and kick your ass so yeah Uh, it's interesting how like the other countries seem to help you along your way and, and do good by you. But as soon as you get back to the US, it's like you're in that shark tank again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that's been so frustrating uh, for me. You know, it's just like internationally, it's like everybody likes my work and appreciates me, respects me. And then I come back to my home country where it's like, yeah, we're just going to use you. And, you know, I wrestle in front of blind eyes and uh, deaf ears, you know what I mean? Because... I don't understand the intimidation or what it is of like, uh, we're going to take things from you steal things from you, but we're not going to push for you. Like the whole skewers thing, like now everybody and their mom is doing that here now. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Like be original, come over your own stuff. And it's it's not even something. Yeah. That's my, that's my gimmick, but I don't want to be labeled as that. That's like, like I said, my new shirt, it's like no weapons needed to get over or just wrestling in general, fighting. It's like, I never needed a weapon. You, you already are the weapon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got these right here. <laughs> I got my weapon um, ring, so. <laughs> so I, I still have a bit of uh, a CZW to talk to you about. Um, I wanted to know about uh, the opportunity to to wrestle there. Um, and I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about Tournament Death Rewind, where you you work with Thumbtack Jack in the final. Uh, this is kind of like within the first few months that you're there, I suppose, uh, if my research is correct. 
but yeah, how did the opportunity come about uh, to be in the combat zone? Well, like I said before, like when I wrestled for for IW Mid South at uh, King of the Death matches, I met DJ, and okay. uh, DJ was like, "I'd love to have you in." Like something's going down with Combat Zone. Uh, he didn't tell me what was going on, but uh, it was on. You know, he eventually bought the company. You know, from yeah, Zandig, yeah. and he's like, "Got big things coming up and planned." So. You know, I didn't really think much of it, you know, other than like, hey, I'm going back overseas to, excuse me, to Big Japan and, uh, you know, went to CZW. Uh, when I went to Combat Zone the first time, it was like, it's the ECW arena. Production's awesome. And uh, the locker room was so cool, you know, like you have Nick Gage, John Moxley, Sammy Callahan, uh, Drake Younger and Danny Havoc and like the the locker room is really cool. You know, that's what really, you know, struck a nerve where it's like, man, like this is so much better than the, in Japan because Japan is pretty much like, it's not cutthroat, but it's more or less like who has like the, I don't know, samurai spirit, the biggest samurai spirit of like go out there and kill yourself. Um, but those guys actually wanted to wrestle and work. And yeah. that's what really drew me into CCW because originally I didn't want to work for combat zone. I didn't, there's a lot of places I didn't want to work for. I didn't want to work for IW mid South. I didn't work for, didn't want to work for combat zone. And then, uh, you know, gradually, you know, my mentality changed and that was all through like training with Rudy boy and Sean of work for these companies. Don't work for this, you know, of you know, Shawn Michaels hated like garbage wrestling companies, deathmatch companies. It's like, you know, that's not wrestling. That old school mentality. But the thing is, it's like, yeah, it is still wrestling. The marquee is wrestling. But me going to combat zone is what really broke me out of like deathmatches, straight wrestling. And a lot of people could see that. And it's like, wow, we've been missing that the whole time with Ring of Honor. So with my career is more or less like going to combat zone was to take a stab at ROH of like, Hey, this is what you missed out on. And this is what I'm doing. And like, I do it better than anybody on your roster and I'm bleeding and I'm doing glass and all this other crazy stuff, which, you know, it is what it is. You can't top that. You know what I mean? Like I pride myself in saying this, but it's like, and I'm one of the last guys that can do any style of a true hybrid wrestler of doing yeah. death matches, hardcore wrestling, lucha libre, uh, European uh, technical chain wrestling, Japanese strong style. You know, my only downfall is like, because I don't want to speak on the mic or tell you this ridiculousness of uh, bad acting that's not me. Well, God forbid, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Oh, I can always get someone to talk now. for you as well. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the point of a manager. If the guy does, isn't really keen on, on the on the on the stick, then you know you you put someone with them that that's their job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing um, is, like, I look at like, I look at me in career in wrestling as like in MMA or UFC. You look at the Nick and Nate Diaz. Like, that's me. You know, it was like, they don't want to talk on the mic. They just want to go out and kick your ass. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I know exactly what you mean with Nate Diaz when he talks. He's just like, <laughs> he can't wait to get it over and done with. <laughs> yeah. But the things he says are funny, you know what I mean? But yeah. He means it. <laughs> <But> um, <laughs> I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am too. Uh, I wanted to bring up this this match that you had with TJ. Uh, uh, it was a House of Pain match, the final of Tournament Death Rewind. Uh, and he told this great story about this because he said that this was the match where his spirit left him for deathmatch wrestling and it was from a power bomb onto some cinder blocks and he said once i felt that bump i felt like you know what i don't want to do this anymore like immediately it entered his system and the match still went like another 20 minutes it was mental um yeah. <laughs> uh, please uh tell me about um you know working with him and and that much specifically and and you know, any interactions you have with him afterward? Well, like, Thumbtack uh, Jack, TJ is awesome. Like, a lot, a lot of guys didn't like him because, yeah, I mean, it's American wrestling. Like, you literally can, you know, trip over your own feet and somebody get pissed off about it. But Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the thing is, like, working with TJ, TJ is, like, really, like, snug with what he does, you know? So in that match is like he stiffed me a few times and like so I started stiffing him back. I didn't know that he felt that way on the power bomb. Um, but Thumbtack Jack is like one of those guys, like he can keep hitting him and beating on him and he'll keep getting up. And like I've always got along with him, I, you know, as a person and talking about life in general, like he's great. He's an awesome like said, guy, yeah. Yeah, he's cool as hell, you know what I mean? And he gets the business, and to a degree, he takes it a little bit too extreme with things, like where it's like, eh, it's not necessary. You don't really have to do that. You don't have to do so much. But that's kind of where the thing is, like when people are really passionate about things and then people don't see your vision where they'll start shooting it down. But, yeah, that match was long, and I remember getting cut on the side of my neck for him smashing light tubes. <laughs> like on me and i was just like hire you little prick you know what i mean <laughs> but, you know we're going out there beating the hell out of each other and i remember that power bomb he went for a tornado ddt yeah on a box of light tubes and i gave him a last ride power bomb yeah. which was if but you know it's, it's the business you know yeah but tj's awesome i feel bad i feel bad because like when i went to germany and, and worked with him we had a, a spot called where I would go for the last ride and he would do a hurricane out of that. But the problem is, is like, I even told him, it's like, you're going to need to go to my side. Like, don't go straight in between my legs, go to the side. So that way you don't, you know, prevent from hurting you. But he went straight back and like, he ended up breaking his back. Yeah. And, uh, that's what ended his career. But then, you know, he's crazy because it is career, but then you know, several months later, he started training to do MMA fighting. It's like, what? <laughs> hey, man, you're you're nuts. <laughs> and I'm happy to. to uh, I'm happy to announce that he's actually completely pain pain free at this point in his life, awesome. even with the broken back and everything. He said that he's perfectly normal, so that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, thank God, because I feel really bad about that. I actually went to the hospital to check up on him, you know, and. 
like I said, I've always got along with, with TJ and like, you know, just literally he's one of those guys that can sit down, you know, talk about life. And it's crazy because, you know, I'm from Texas. He's from Germany, obviously. And like, there's so many connections. That's one of the awesome things about wrestling that I've learned. It's like connecting with people from different cultures in all parts of the world and uh, have that same camaraderie and niche for life in general of like things you can do and things that can be better. And there's never anything negative, you know, that's kind of like the problem is like gradually, like, you know, I'm jumping from story to story, but like when I went to the Northeast and wrestling, like, they're like American wrestling, there's a lot of negativity in it, you know, and just like, man, uh, just a function in that life, that, that life and deal with people. Like I had a, I need to drink something because I can't stand you. Like I'm going to literally rip your head off or just like, I can't tell you what I think because you're going to blackball me. So I literally would be drinking, which is a lame excuse, but that's really what it was. It's just dealing with people that are fake. And like, you know, when my tattoo on my arm is like, I'm surrounded by filth. That's how I felt at the time of wrestling. It's just, I'm just around a bunch of snakes that are going to stab me in the back at any point and try to use me as a stepping stone. It's like a, it's like bizarro world, isn't it? Like, uh, but when we interviewed Doug Basham, he told us about how he just had a question on the finish and said, shouldn't we drop the tag titles at the pay-per-view? Because we already got the match against them at the pay-per-view. Why were we dropping them tonight? And then now the Basham brothers were now on velocity for the next 10 months, not being utilized on TV because he asked one question. It just yeah. seems like, gosh, you can't even ask a question without getting uh, shoved down to the bottom of the card. Yeah, and that's a, that's the thing. I mean, but the thing is with the Bashams, at least hey, at least you still have a job. At least you're under contract. Yeah. But the problem is, it's like, yeah, you. I mean, you can't say anything without offending somebody. It's like people just honestly, I think like it's a power trip where if you have that standpoint to ruin someone's life or like they depend on you. So like, man, you better walk on the eggshells and like talk to me right, but. Me, it's like, man, fuck you, dude. I don't give a shit who the hell you are or who you think you are, dude. The street's right there. The parking lot's right there. And I'll beat your ass. You'll be sucking on the concrete. Um, it's funny because I, I went to NXT one time. And uh, one of the guys, one of the directors, like, I asked him where Starbucks was. And he was like, got this little attitude, like, uh, Starbucks is over there. And like, who are you? I was like, uh, Masada. He's like, oh, I've heard of you. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, hey, bitch, you've heard of me, but I had never heard of you, so fuck off. You know what I mean? I wasn't even there trying to get a job. I was literally just there to support a friend, like, hey, hey, come check this out. Like, all right, well, I'm here, you know? But, man, man, screw that crap. I'm not going to kiss your ass. Like, this is not going to happen. And then you get pissed yeah. off because I didn't introduce myself. I literally just asked you, like, a common human being, because I'm not from Florida. Hey, where's Starbucks at? Yeah. but. Whatever, you know what I mean? You got something to say, Fuck, dude. Uh, outside's right there. So you want to square up, let's square up. Get a That's fucking it. camera on it, beat your ass, and put that on tape. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, that, and that'll get ratings, I'm sure. Uh. Well, yeah. Uh, and the, the problem is, the more real you are in wrestling, the more they don't like you. It's like, oh, he's a tough guy. Don't fucking tell me blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, dude. Like, wrestling is supposed to be tough. It's a tough man sport. It's a tough man business. You know, 
That's like I have Bruiser Brody Cup too coming up. Uh, and it's actually in Carthage, Texas. And Bruiser Brody was the man. It's like Bruiser Brody didn't put up any of this bullshit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Swing a 10-foot chain around your head and wrap around your neck, you know what I mean? He didn't play that game. So I think there needs to be more of that in wrestling of, like, just legitimate tough guys of uh, instead of, like, these, you know, talk behind your back and, like, let me get your coffee, let me do this type of crap, you know, but it is what it is. <laughs> That's it, bro. Um, I wanted to bring it to the 10th of March, 2012. You win the CZW World Heavyweight Championship after defeating uh, Scotty Vortex, uh, DJ Hyde and Devin Moore in a four-way match at Aerial Assault at the Boyles World Gym in Philly. This is this is a nice moment for you, right? I mean, you, you, you've been... It, someone believes in you. They believe that you can be the guy that people were paying their tickets to see. That means something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so please tell me how it felt uh, to, to you know, have won their, their championship at that time. Well, the thing that's crazy is like, so on that show, like I wrestled Adam Cole in a singles match and uh, me winning the title was kind of thrown together because the last show was Cage of Death. And everybody had been telling DJ, like, hey, you need to put the belt on Masada. You need to put the belt on Brig. You need to do it. And he was like, nah, we're going to keep him waiting. <laughs> well, the finish <laughs> happened in Cage of Death, and, like, fans just shit on it. You know what I mean? They were adamant about me having the title, which I wasn't politicking or anything. Like, that was the cool thing is, like, you know, respect my work rate to put the title on me, the world title and the UV title, and join them together and actually go international, which I actually did. When I had the CCW world title, I defended it in Japan, Europe, Mexico, Canada, you know, everywhere, and made it a legitimate international title. Uh, but the match, me winning the belt was, to me, it kind of felt like it was thrown together of, uh, yeah, we're going to do this four-way, and then, like, I don't think I even pinned Scotty for it. I just, I, don't, I think it was Devin Moore I pinned, and I won the belt. So it's like... You know, like I'm not even beating the guy that has the belt to right. win the championship. <laughs> that that was just like whatever. But you know, I got the title and then I ran with it. And I held it for over, I want to say a year and a half, you know, and I was supposed to hold it longer, but then my knee messed up, like I had a torn meniscus and I had a lot of knee issues, like with my right knee, and like couldn't perform the way I did. And uh dropped the title to Drew Gulak. And, uh, you know, he ran with it, and now he's in WWE. So props to him. You know what I mean? Absolutely, bro. Um, so also during this period of time, this is like a pretty big period of time for you as far as, like, accomplishments, uh, winning TOD 10 and 11 um, is a pretty, you know, the first guy to win them back-to-back. -back. So that's... Again, like it, your your name's out there during this time. You also you've you've won the the heavyweight championship. You've unified the belts. You've made it a legitimate world championship. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that that without a doubt makes you one of, if not the you know the the biggest legend from combat zone wrestling history. That's just me saying that. Not just saying it because you're on the show. 
that speaks for itself. Uh, you wouldn't have been given those opportunities if you were just middle of the road. So yeah. <laughs> you performed in eight versions of the Tournament of Death. You've won three, including the one in Europe. Um, could you describe to me the atmosphere in the air, the morning of a tournament like this? You know that you're about to go through three devastating matches. It's going to be a lot of hard work. You're going to be in a lot of pain afterward. What's that kind of atmosphere like in the air? You're backstage with all the boys, all the uh, the apparatuses and different things that are going to be set up are getting built. Please tell me right. a little bit about that. I mean, the thing is, like, with me, it's always uh, in my mind is doing something different. Every match needs to be different and doing things that people haven't seen. So, I mean, the thing is, I'm not bad-mouthing people, but, like, a lot of people, when you see, like, their best of, like, DVDs or tapes or whatnot, it's like their matches are the same. Mine have always, they've changed. Some things are similar, but they're always different. So my mindset is always prepping for tournaments is like doing something different every match. And that's, what's really hard because you only have so much time to do something and put something together. And then it's like, by the time you're done with one round, you're coming back, you're trying to heal up. And before you know, you're back out there. Um, so yeah, it's rough, you know, but my mindset's always, like I said, do something different and keep the psychology there and stay motivated and try to be as safe as possible and not get severely hurt. You know, that's like, the thing is like a lot of idiots, like who were like, Oh, deathmatch wrestling. No, nobody really dies. Okay. The whole principle of a deathmatch wrestling is the possibility that someone could die. That's what it is. And yeah. Nick agency did die in a turn in one of the, one of his matches yeah. against Arm Tag Jack. So <laughs> that's the principle where people are like so ridiculously stupid where it's like, uh, nobody's really dying. It's like, hey, shit, we'd all be in prison if we were doing that. But, <laughs> it's the premise. You know, yeah, it's the premise, the, the possibility that someone could die doing this. Okay, man. That's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> But like um, I said, her, she's been around and she's been in the business longer than I have. It's like far as her dad and like her, uh, her uncles, like her uncle's Mil Mascaras, you know, it's crazy. Wow. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And her dad's Black Gorman. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anybody doesn't know who Black Gorman is, you need to check him out. Like legendary, like wrestler and heel to the bone, man. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, that's an interesting uh, insight into, you know, you always want to make sure because there's three, usually three matches uh, every tournament. You want to make sure that they're all different and you did eight of them. So that's, you know, and that's just, that's just tournament of death. You did other ones as well. Uh, but I wanted to ask, I've asked everyone that's done something like this before the same question. How do you personally recover from a day like this? What is, what do you do to, to, to get through the next few days? Cause I would assume it would take a few days at least to at least feel somewhat back to normal. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like after tournaments like that, like I would sleep, you know, best thing for healing is just sleep and rest. So that's what I would do. It was like, you know, Abdullah the butcher, like he would, <laughs> He's one of the guys like, you know, you need to drink some red wine, get your blood count back up and rejuvenate it. But I always just slept, you know, try to rest up like that. But that's what I did. You know what I mean? It's just 
get as much sleep as I could and then go on to the next show. Right. Would you would you have a specific uh, bed sheets in the house to be sleeping on after a tournament considering? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So just any bed sheets will be taking the brunt of the uh, like likely leakage of blood from your back. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily at my time, like back in those days, like my bed sheets were black, so you couldn't see them. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's smart, bro. That's smart. I said this to DJ last weekend. I was like, this is a great idea for your fans out there. Do you want to feel like you wake up like you've just been in a tournament of death and get the exclusive, you know, CZW tournament of death bed sheets? And it's, you know, it's all <laughs> prints, prints of bloodstains. And I think that would, uh, that would sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't want to buy that. <laughs> I will say this, like, I'm the only, I'm the second American, like, ever and only to win a tournament in Japan. Mick Foley is the first, I'm the second one. So that's one of the things that a lot of people don't put over, people forget. But it's like, as far as, like, deathmatch tournaments go and deathmatch wrestling, like, I'm the only American besides Mick Foley to win a tournament in Japan. That's you know, huge. That yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal, but uh, yeah, PWI magazine don't cover that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, man, I get really frustrated, man. Every time I go to like Walmart and uh, I always, I, it's just a bad habit of mine, but I always look at PWI magazine and see what they're covering and who they're covering. And I just like, really? Come on, man. <laughs> That's where my anger comes from. I'm like, ah, I told my wife I got mad. <laughs> I got so frustrated. Like I went to Walmart, I think it was like two weeks ago and uh, I'm looking at the magazine and I just got so frustrated with what the hell they're showing in there. I just threw it on the ground and just <laughs> continue <laughs> shopping. But it's like, man, this is bogus. Really? Come on. <laughs> I understand. Right? Yeah. This is aggravating. We're, we're coming to near the end of like talking about uh deathmatch tournament stuff. Uh, I just wanted to bring up, uh, just under a month later after uh, winning, sorry, excuse me, gonna scroll up. Uh, yeah, winning, I think it was Children of Death 11. Um, you, you do the IWA East Coast Masters of Pain for the first time, uh, I believe that's uh, working for Madman Pondo. Um, so the, finally, for the first time, you do, you're doing this company's tournament. Um, you go to the final where you lose to the bulldozer himself. Uh, could you do, uh, tell me like uh, your experience with uh, IWA East Coast? Because it seemed like you only really worked there a couple of times. I think he also wrestled Matt Hardy there as well. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, that's Pondo's company. And it was Pondo's one of the guys that gets the business. So when he brought me in, it's like, hey, we're going to do this, this, and, you know, roll with it. Yeah, I only worked there twice. Like the second time was against Matt Hardy, but I always enjoyed working at IWA East Coast. Like it was a good experience. Um, some some of the talent, like I wrestled Spider Boudreaux, who shouldn't have been in the ring, in my opinion. But right, you know, yeah. it is what it is. You know, of someone who's got the size, but he never trained a day in his life to be a wrestler. So. My attitude was like, hey, you shouldn't be in the ring with me, so I'm going to treat you as such. And even Tremont, you know, for a while was like that. Like, I didn't respect respect him when he came in. And then later on, it's like, man, Tremont is awesome. So you have to earn my respect. I'm not just going to give it to you. 
and I'm not going to stab you in the back and like try to blackball you. All this other stupid crap that goes on in wrestling. But, you know, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. And hey, he brought it right back. So, you know, putting him over, it's like he, he earned it. You know what I mean? Absolutely, but, man. Um, yeah, I had him on the show. Awesome guy as well. Uh, yeah. The last two questions about deathmatch tournaments here. 2017, I thought this was mental. Uh, you did the Tournament of Survival for GCW in Howell, New Jersey. And then within a week, you did Tournament of Death 16. Uh, <laughs> both times yeah. going to the semi-final as well. So it's not like you just you just bowed out in the first round at, at Tournament of Survival, you know, to save yourself for the fall. No, you, you went to the semi-final both times. How is this humanly <laughs> possible that you could get through this? <laughs> just a lot of craziness, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Honestly, like a lot of things I did when I was younger, like I don't know how I even did it. Like even now, I'm like, what? Um, that's more or less just proving a point of being the best that you can be and going out there and do what you got to do and fighting and then being extremely tough, obviously. But yeah, I remember that. It's just like back to back tournaments and death matches you know just going full force you know that's yeah, my best yeah. answer to that. it's just being a being the best you can be and you know even ngi like when i won the ngi tournament for uh nick gage invitational that yeah. at that point like i had left combat zone wrestling i didn't like how things were going so i left and then going back to ngi was a stab at them a game changer because they have an ongoing feud of uh, who's the best company and whatnot. And, you know, I don't get into the politics thing. It's like, hey, you know, you book me, pay me, and I'll bring the fan base there, but go balls to the wall, you know? And I don't yeah. milk anything. And so either I'm going to the finals or going to the semifinal. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. Um, I noticed today that Ricky Shane Page, uh, he announced his retirement from death matches. Um, and here you are two months ago from my research, you, 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 you competed in another King of the Deathmatch tournament, um, getting from the first round to the semifinals. What keeps you going with this? I mean, obviously the, getting paid to work these things is obviously a, a, a big part about it, but do you plan on, on cutting back on it soon? Because, uh, you know, I know, I noticed a few guys like Matt, is also he's he's retired as well but um do you want to try and get away from deathmatch style stuff soon i lost him there you there uh yeah sorry it froze for a second <laughs> oh it's okay did you uh, cancel sorry, that question yeah, as far as cutting back, I mean, the thing is, like, I I mean, if it makes sense, it's kind of at this point in my career where it's like, if it makes sense, and I'll do it. But if it's, like, repetitive and, like, keep going and going with death matches and there's no real angle, there's no real feud or there's no heat there, then, yeah, it gets old. It gets stale. And um, I'm not never going to say I'm going to retire from it, but I will pick and choose when I want to do things, you know? Like, yeah. I lately, like, I have a lot of bookings coming up in Texas and, 
you know, even the Northeast with XPW rebirth of like just straight up wrestling, you know? So I'm going to keep it going that route and just wrestling, you know, back, back to the way things were, you know, I'm actually hitting the gym, working in the ring and just building back up psychology and more technical mood base and strong style wrestling. But yeah, I don't blame Ricky because, you know, Ricky just did a trial with AEW and, you know, it's that match wrestling. And if you, once you go to Japan, you go international with it, it's only going to take you so far where if you want to go to the next step, which is like North American TV, you know, AEW is doing death matches, but it's not on that level and you don't have to do it. You need to start focusing more or less on what they want, you know? So I get it, but I am going to wrestle Ricky, you know, in October and Taipei death match. And he better have his a game for that one. <laughs> I <tell> you that <laughs> much. <laughs> um, uh, so getting away from this stuff, I, I, I did notice in my research and notice it's something that you said earlier about seeing Sabu perform for the first time. Uh, I did notice that you had, you had worked with him, I think, in 2017. Not sure if you worked with him prior to that, but just from your standpoint, how was it being able to have the opportunity to to finally wrestle that guy? I, I mean, it's it's awesome. Like uh, wrestling with Sabu, or wrestling with New Jack. I wrestled with a lot of guys from ECW and FMW. I mean, like I said, I pretty much I've worked with a lot of guys that have been there and done that with WWF, WCW. And to be in the ring with Sabu, Sabu is a legend, you know, and Sabu is one of the guys that one of the main guys that got me motivated to or get that passion dream going to be in the ring and wrestle. So to be in the ring with him one on one, it was awesome. You know what I mean? And as old as he is and that he can still go and it's just like, it's crazy, you know, but it's awesome. You know, he's old school mentality of, uh, you know, passionate for the business and can go and has so much to offer. And I don't think he ever got his just due in wrestling. I really don't where he should have been making millions of dollars and like, he should have been pushed as a top guy and real true innovator in wrestling. But you know, that's kind of how it goes, man. It's like you got a lot of black sheep in wrestling where you don't get your just credit, but people steal from it all the time. But being in the ring with Sabu was amazing. And, uh, you know, you know, what else can I say? I learned it's like <laughs> it's a badass guy and, uh, you know, same mentality, same personality, talking to him. And I've been on shows with him prior, but being in the ring with him one-on-one was awesome. And, you know, same thing with New Jack, you know, it's like a lot of people had a misconception on him or they say like, oh, he's just this and he'll stab people and he'll shoot on guys for no reason. But that's not the case. No, like if, no. that was always a racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New Jack actually was one of the guys that protected the business. And if you didn't like how he protected the business, well, you know, it's wrestling. Wrestling's tough. You know what I mean? It's the way it's supposed to be. And if you got somebody in there that shouldn't be in the ring and then he takes, uh, I wouldn't even say uh, liberties, but he shows them what's up. Like, Hey, you, know, you don't need to be in here. And like, you're ruining my, my image and my gimmick or who I am as a person. Then yeah, do what you got to do. You know, I don't shed no tears for anybody that he messed up, but it is what it is. <clears throat> yeah, bro. Um, 
Now, I'll tell you a little funny story about me and Sabu. Um, so I have interviewed him as well. But when I was wrestling here in Perth, it was 2014. And uh, the company I was wrestling for said to me, hey, at our big show of the year, would you like to wrestle Sabu? And I thought to myself, I'm not, I'm not good enough or <laughs> to, for, for something like that, especially with him, you know, at this point in his career, I don't think that should be. But, you know, obviously I'm interested because who would have thought? And he said, yeah, cool, man. Um, but like, if you want to, like you, uh, you, you have to pay for his fee. So you have to pay two and a half thousand dollars. And I was like, cool, man, I quit. Uh, and then I, I didn't wrestle for them anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not paying, I'm not paying to wrestle somebody. <laughs> that, that's, that's a carny part of wrestling. Yeah. It's like, that hey, is, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get to wrestle them, but you got to pay for them. Like, you know, <laughs> like, no, so not, you can make money on the back end. No, I'm good. I, I'm a mark, but I'm not that much of a mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's the problem. That's the mentality of uh, wrestling. It's like, uh, I, I always got this vibe, like, with uh, TNA, like, doing tryout matches was, like, it's a mentality, like, you're lucky to be here and right. just be happy here, but it's, like, no, like, but, you know, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, we're going to book you this guy, but you got to pay for him. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Ridiculous. Uh, another match I wanted to bring up, uh, as we get to the talent here, bro, 9th of December 2018, uh, it's Cage Def 20, it's at the arena, it's yourself and DJ Hyde against Atsushi Onita and Matt Tremont. This is pretty big, doesn't happen very often that he comes over here to do something like that. So uh, uh, how did it feel for you at that point in your career to actually get in the ring with him? Oh, well, that goes back in the same standpoint of wrestling with guys from ECW and FMW and Onita is a legend and knows the business. And it was great because I'm on the same page with him of like putting a match together, structuring things and going out there and doing it. Uh, but yeah, Onita is awesome. And I don't know how old he is, but he's still kicking, you know, still going. He's still going. Yeah. Yeah. He's still going. So doing exploding ball bar matches and all that craziness. <laughs> Yeah, being being in the ring with Onita, Sabu, it's like, you know, another feather in my hat of like, hey, I work with this guy and here's another guy that likes me, you know what I mean? As far as like working with me, um, which is great, you know, like that's the thing. Like anytime I work with feedback from veterans have been in WWF or w, uh, WWE or guys that haven't even been there, but on the indies have gone to the mainstream companies in America they all like working with me. So it's a, uh, like I said, it's a feather in my cap of like working with top people, top talent from uh, the past and the future of like being able to be strong and going out there and doing good work. And the funny thing is I joke with my wife all the time. It's like in 10 years from now, I better be in somebody's WWE book. <laughs> like I better be. <laughs> it's like I've helped a lot of guys out. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I get you, bro. Um, yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk about COVID for a minute here because obviously there was a, a good portion of time where you wouldn't be working um, uh, as no one really was at the time unless you were doing WWE or AEW. Um, but how did that affect you the most, um, that period of time? 
And, you know, in a way, that little break from being in the ring, did it help your body feel a little bit better? Um, well, the thing that sucks with COVID, when COVID hits, like I had my full schedule planned out for the year. I was doing stuff in Northeast, Detroit, Florida, and uh, Mexico. And COVID hit and everything just started gradually like falling off. Like, can't fly here, can't do this, can't do that. And it's like, oh, crap. But luckily, it's like, with me, it's like, you know, I have a real job, like metal fabricator. So with my shoot job, I never took any time off. But the, the crappy thing is, like, with my job, it's like not moving the way I'm used to moving. That's honestly why I've gone back in uh, training with in the ring and lifting weights, because everything I do in my real job is just so robotic, where it's like, man, I need to move around do some moonsaults, cartwheels or something. But uh, yeah, it affected me like not in a good sense because like I'm so busting my ass working a manual labor job. So my body still aches, but it's worse because I'm more or less like a robot moving a ring. So I actually did develop ring rust. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, and try <laughs> to stay away from that. But yeah, things are gradually opening back up. Like the state of Texas, things are open. Florida's open, um, you know, getting to the politics of everything with COVID. It's, I'm not going to run around like a chicken with my head cut off. Like, you know what I mean? I might do this and die, but some people have, you know, God forbid, but in a day, I'm not going to stop living my life. You know, I don't think anybody really should. You should go out full force and, you know, don't be afraid to leave your front door. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I get opinion. you, bro. <laughs> yeah. I get you, bro. Like, oh, you don't care. Like, no, it's not. I'm just saying, live your life. You know, you can't just stay at home and just sit around and like, oh, this is nice being lazy and not doing anything. That sucks. <laughs> like, I can't sit around not doing anything. I'm but like I said, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but you know, I got bookings coming up. Like, I have a, you know. I'm going to go wrestle in Houston the 18th of this month against one of Booker T's like top uh, students. Uh, work with him at uh, local wrestling. And then from there, I'm going to Bruiser Brody Cup, uh, which is in Texas, and then going to XPW Rebirth, which I'm, re I'm really excited about that, you know, because XPW was a big deal and a lot of things have changed as far as like what the company originally was doing, which I wasn't a fan of, but just straight up forward wrestling and being the best and hybrid wrestlers. And uh, also have another booking that's in uh, Illinois, in Chicago. Um, so, you know, things are picking back up, you know, and it's cool because, you know, like I said, I've, I've told my wife and like I said earlier on this podcast, where I don't reach out to people, people reach out to me and I'm honored by that. When someone's like, hey, we need you. Like, we want you there. And they're gonna be like, all right, this is my fee. And they're like, cool, no problem, come on in. So, you know, that's badass. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, like there's a whole heap on the horizon there. Yeah, and then like I said, like, you know, my side job from wrestling and then my shoot job is like, you to make stuff like this, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Growing up, it's like, so I do custom orders, like exile artifacts, make weapons and jewelry and 
pretty much whatever you can think of. I'm, I'm in my shop right now. You see all the tools and whatnot. It's my forge and nice. So once I get done with my real job, like I come home, I work out, lift the weights, work on orders. And then from there, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, going and working in the ring. And, you know, I'm constantly busy, man. You know, my yeah, wife man. and I are busy bodies, you know, can't sit still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's funny. Earlier, I said when I first saw a picture of you, I thought you'd be in a heavy metal band. You being involved with heavy metal, I didn't think it'd be literally involved with heavy metal. So. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. No, it's funny. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I've been metal fab and like make weapons and knives and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely into metal. Metal's my thing. <laughs> uh, sure. So you, I think you said earlier you're 40 years old now. Uh, what else do you hope to accomplish in the wrestling business uh, going forward? You know, is there still some dreams that you've got there that you'd hope to accomplish? I mean, the thing is, like, my main thing is, like, putting in retrospect of things I want to do and things I can do. Like, WWE does not interest me in, like, doing the schedule of wrestling every day. Uh, Impact interests is, you know, I'm interested in going to Impact. I'm interested in going to AEW. Uh, Ring of Honor, like, I've tried knocking on that door so many times. They booked me 11 years after being there just to put over Roger strong and I've reached out to them and gotten nothing. So I'm just like, you know, whatever, but in the back burner, I'm really hoping XPW picks up and goes back to what it was doing. Not back to like all the stuff it was doing, but just going back and being on TV and pay-per-views and whatnot and being part of something new that branches out. But AEW is like one of the things like I watched the product, uh, watched it like three weeks ago and I like what they're doing. And that's something where I really wouldn't mind seeing myself in whether it happens or not, you know, it'd be nice, but we'll see how things go. You know, it's kind of crazy because I watched, you know, AEW or NXT or WWE or impact. And it's like, I've worked with all these guys, like every single one of them, I've been in the ring with them, unless they're just really new and they're, uh, you know, homegrown talent from the company, but other ones, you know, guys that are veterans, I've been in the ring with them. So it's kind of like at 40, it's like, you know, I need to branch out and break it off in America because I haven't done that. You know, I've been here, done this, and my name's always been the same. It's never changed. So I I guess a lot of respects to that. It's like, I've never changed my style, never changed my gimmick. Uh, I am who I am, and my my wrestling name is what it is. It's not going to change. But AEW is somewhere I wouldn't mind, you know, throwing my boots down and, like, doing something there before I hang it up, which I don't see that (laughs) in the future. But, you know, you never know, man. You know, I'm going to keep going until the wheels fall. (laughs) No, man, that that would be cool. And one of, you know, I was just thinking then, have you ever uh, reached out to MLW? To uh, Major League Wrestling? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually, I emailed them, like, before COVID hit. I emailed them, and I've worked for Major League Wrestling before, uh, like, their first show. And I sent them an email. I heard nothing back. So right. it's kind of like, well, it's the same thing. Like, I've worked with all the other guys. Like, you know, it's like, what, what do you want me to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. But, 
I just thought to myself, then oh, that I, might I, be a, that might be a good fit as well. But AEW will be obviously, you know, that would be pretty. Right, cool. but I don't know. I think the thing is maybe people have big misconception on me. It's like either I'm hard to work with or they just don't want to do blood and guts. Where it's like, hey, you know, don't label me like that. But yeah. they do death match, they do Bob Bar, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather just wrestle. I get you, bro. That's um, awesome to hear. Uh, so we get to the end here of the interview, bro. I've got one final segment, five-second frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five seconds, it's okay. You won't get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> most wrestlers need more than five seconds anyway with this segment. But it's, it's 12 quick-fire questions. Uh, your favorite this, your favorite that. Are you ready, Masada? Uh, yes. Okay. First question, who is your favorite wrestler? Oh, man, there's so many. <laughs> like, Terry Funk's one of my favorite. Like, when I was a kid, Bret Hart, funny enough. Bret Hart was my favorite, and Terry Funk, and shoot. Going to High Flying, like, Hayabusa, Sabu, you know, Lucha Libre, La Parca, which is funny, you know, getting to work with him. You know, but La Parca always, in WCW, as a kid, I like watching him. <laughs> I love the skeleton character. And the funny thing is working with him was like, man, I used to watch you when I was a kid. And he's <laughs> like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> but it's like, you know what I mean? He was one of my favorites, you know? There's just so many. It's like, it's like, who's your favorite musician or who's your favorite band? I, I really can't just name off one. There's just so many. That and that, really that will be coming in my uh, questions. Uh <laughs> First few about yeah. wrestling, though. Who who just say, say is your favorite opponent you've had over the years? Um, yeah, my favorite person actually wrestle with is uh, was Danny Havoc. That was my favorite. You know, God bless him, rest his soul, man. But uh, yeah, Danny Havoc was one of my favorites to be in the ring and like, hey, let's do this tonight and let's do this and like, I feel that Grant. You know, Havoc always like kind of doubt himself as a wrestler because that's kind of like a lot of things with wrestling that's bad. It's like with promoters and stuff, you get start doubting yourself. Mm. And then with him, it's like, dude, I wrestled the top guys, and like you're one of the guys that's like I really enjoy wrestling with and like can go. But that's my favorite opponent. Uh Jun Kasai, you could throw him in there. And you know. Yeah, those are the top two, you know, as far as, like, my career goes. And then straight up wrestling, like, it would be a lot of people that are actually from Texas that haven't broken out of the state. But a lot of guys here, you know, really, i say anybody that's, like, good or going on the standpoint, like, I'm work, working with A.R. Fox, Sammy Callahan, top-notch talent. But as far as, like, mainstream of, like, just a mainstay of, like, being competitive and working angles would be Danny Havoc and Jun Kasai. Those are my favorites. Cool. Excellent. Uh, I know this will be a tough one, but is there a match that you look back on that you would say would be your, the favorite one that you you performed in? Um, you know, is there one that you could pick? Man, I, uh, honestly, probably me and Jun Kasai and uh, man, I don't know. Yeah, there's a damn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, as far as like the deathmatch scene or like Rouse, like me, Jun Kasai, and Pain's the Limit three, 
because it was a three-year buildup for that finals. That's one of my favorite matches. Um, and then I've been honored, like, uh, Yoshisa Sasaki, who used to work for, uh, he was an FMW young boy who broke out in zero one. I wrestled with him and I know we're a Bob Bar match in Germany. And he asked for that match of a retirement from death matches. So that's one of my favorites. Um, man, yeah, there's a lot, you know, and all my straight up just wrestling matches, like, <laughs> there's just too many guys, too many in the name, but those <laughs> are my cool, the top two that stand up in my head, you know, stand up in my mind of like my favorites. Yeah, no worries, bro. Uh, getting away from wrestling now, your favorite book? <laughs> None. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, lately I've been reading a lot about uh, forging weapons. So, uh, yeah. Don't know the label. It's just kind of like, hey, this is. That's cool, you know, bro. Yeah. We'll go with one of those type things. But, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All good, bro. Uh, favorite TV show? Uh, Forge and Fire. Back in the day, it was funny because it used to be uh, uh, Home Improvement. Not well, yeah, Home Improvement when I was younger, but then uh, <laughs> Extreme Home Makeover. <laughs> that used to be my favorite show. And the, and the funny thing is about that is like, yeah, people that are doing good in the community, and then like you know they come and like refurbish, rebuild their house, and like make their dreams come true of things they can't afford. Like that's awesome, you know. They, I used to love that show. Then they. They reamped it, but you know it doesn't have Ty Pendleton in it, so I'm just like, yeah, I ain't watched it. He's the one that made that show. I guess <laughs> Force right. Fire is my favorite show. Okay, cool. Uh, do you have a favorite film? Favorite film? Oh, I think it'd be a toss up between Demon Knight from Tales from the Crypt and uh, The Ninth Gate. With Johnny Depp, like those are like my yeah. two favorites, and then Jaws, <laughs> which is funny though because like I'm definitely afraid of sharks. Like sharks freak me out. <laughs> uh, yeah. We we alluded to it before, but you're gonna have to answer it. It's a favorite musical artist or band, bro. Uh, Crowbar, yeah, Crowbar is my favorite by by far. You know, it's my favorite band. Funny enough, it's like. I've only used them as interest music once, but like as far as like just listening to them every day, Crowbar would be the band that I could listen to all the time. Okay. And I have oh, high heels uh, tattooed on the side of my left calf. So you know, <laughs> that's obviously one of my favorites. <laughs> nice, bro. Yeah. Uh, getting away from the arts now, your favorite food? Oh, <laughs> favorite food. Well, when I lived in Japan, sushi became my favorite food. Now I'm back in, you know, Texas, so Tex-Mex, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but it's also got my downfall because I'm trying to eat right. Lately, I've just been eating tuna fish and uh, lettuce, so we've been eating a lot of uh, tuna salads, and that's it. Delicious. It's not my favorite. Uh, right? <laughs> it's not my favorite, but hey, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, Do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, man. Uh, I guess it would be Wendy's, you know, because back in the day when I would drive and, like, go to Georgia, wrestle in Cornelia, Georgia, for NWA Wildside, it was Wendy's or uh, Waffle House. 
And they're not either one or not my favorites, but they were the ones that were open. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, we yeah, did get one. Not, really on the road. Well, the crazy thing is, like, people like, and you can ask people like whoever you're interviewing next, but uh, they would be surprised, like, if they ask you, like, what does Masada eat? It'd be like, he doesn't eat anything. Like, I literally can go two or three days without eating. It's crazy, <laughs> but it's shoot, legit. Like, I could do that. Like fasting and whatnot, just not hungry. Yeah, constantly chain smoking a cigarettes and you know dipping. <laughs> but yeah, um, second last one, bro. For five second frenzy. What's your favorite alcoholic beverage? Uh, right now, Shiner Bach. <laughs> like nice. Yeah. Uh, sorry, there was actually two more after this. the The second last one is uh, the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy. Your favorite female body part? You're gonna check out a good-looking girl. You know what? What do you what do you go to first? My wife's face, <laughs> like my wife. <laughs> so yep, no, the face is a good answer, bro. That's a nice answer. Uh, and the final one, bro, is your favorite curse word. <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> like, I say that quite a bit. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? The bad thing is, like, when people are like, hey, cut a promo, I'd be like, fuck, 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 fuck. But, you know, I was like, looking back, like, yeah, that was stupid. But, and you drop it, like, hey, you need to cut a promo. I was like, well, I'm not really feeling this. Like, what's my motivation here? Like, you're supposed to be angry. All right. Well, this is what I would say. But, yeah. That's it's it. <laughs> the number one answer usually uh, for that question. Uh, Masada, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me here today. I really appreciate it. And and this was like a really fun chat. My face hurts from smiling. And what I, <laughs> awesome. what I always say uh, when I have, you know, guests on this show, because it, it really is important. Um, I live in Perth, Western Australia. It's the most isolated city in the world. So I think that really says something, that the reach that somebody can have to be all the way on the other side of the world, me being the most isolated city, see their work, see what they do and appreciate them. So I want to take the time to say that all the way over here, you have a whole bunch of people that appreciate you and what you have done in the wrestling business, sir. Yeah. Hey, I, well, I appreciate you reaching out. Like, it's awesome to be a part of this. And, like, it's cool because, yeah, you're in Australia and I'm in Texas. Uh, <laughs> the world's small, man. It's not as big as everybody thinks it is. And, like, everybody ties in with each other. And thank you for having me on. And let's do this again. Definitely. I've Excellent, enjoyed it. Bro. Sounds great, bro. Thank you again. <laughs> so your time is probably, what, 2? Uh, like, it's 1 in the morning now, yeah. Morning, so I need to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a little bit of wine to drink. But, uh... <laughs> hey, hey, there you go, man. But well, be safe out there. Be safe out there because, you know, I hear things on the news here, like things are, you know, pretty rough out there with COVID. So I don't really believe everything I hear, but, you know, just keep your head on straight and be safe, bro. Will do, bro. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yet again appreciate you thank you for having me on thanks bro and, and thank you everyone out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA network I'm California Free with my new friend here Masada and we will see you next time thank you <laughs>